Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Binds Us podcast. We are very excited to have the founders of Kinswomen, Hannah Summerhill and Izu Po Flee, on our podcast today. Kinswomen provides women of color and white women a place to have honest cross-racial dialogues. Izu is the founder of a gender-free children's clothing line, Yoa New York, and she is also a model. And Hannah worked in publishing at Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Women's Health, and Seventeen Magazine. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Hi, guys. Yes, thank you so much for having us. We're excited. Hello. So let's start right away by telling us about yourselves. Yeah. Hannah, do you want to go ahead? Sure. So my name's Hannah. I am a white woman um, of Jewish background, one half of the Kinswomen podcast. And I grew up in Pennsylvania and Delia, as you mentioned, I've worked in publishing for all of my career until just earlier this year when I left to do this, to work on this platform, Kinswomen, and do this anti-racism work full time. So that's a little bit about me. Yay! <laughs> uh, and that means Zupo Fleet. Uh, I am from the Rwandan diaspora. I grew up in Belgium, uh, Brussels, Belgium, and I moved to the States in 2008. I am a black woman uh, and also Jewish. And um, yeah, so I worked in the fashion industry and have my, my brand and started working with Hannah and doing the work that we're doing is amazing. It really is. And we are dying to go to Brussels. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yes. I want to learn more about the children's brand too. Yeah. But um, first of all, how did you two meet? We met at an event about race actually um, about a year and a half ago, or almost two years ago at the wing where we were both members Um The Wing was hosting this conversation called Bridging the Empathy Gaps Between White Women and Women of Color. And I went and I didn't really participate. I was I was nervous to be to be honest, as you know, a lot of white people are when there are race conversations. But I remember Izu being just so um, strong and forceful. And I and I think she'd said that, you know, she kind of called out the white women who were attending saying, why aren't you guys more part of this conversation? This is a conversation between us. So that gave me a lot to think about because I realized I had been, I'd come to observe and I didn't, I hadn't wanted to take up space, but then I got it wrong because the event specifically was about having dialogue. So I happened to magically run into Izu a couple weeks later. This is like this is fate. This is how yeah. I imagine it, like, in my, like, rom-com <laughs> memory. <laughs> the me. Easy remembers it differently, but I... Really? <laughs> okay, okay. Maybe, maybe I'm... We'll, we'll have to, we'll have to do, like, a... We'll do a documentary at some point and have, have reenact it, but... <laughs> I went up to her in line. She happened to be getting tea at the same time. I was at the cafe and I said, hey, I remember you from the event. I'm really interested in continuing these dialogues about race. Um, I'm going to host one in my living room if you're interested. And then eventually we started having these conversations in my tiny living room, inviting our friends. They grew and grew and grew. And then Izu and I one moment looked at each other um, 
during one of these talks and said, we need to bring this conversation outside to a larger audience. And that's how we started Kinswomen. That is fabulous. That is really amazing. that It started before right. the rest of the world started having this major conversation. You know, it yeah. just fell into place. It was already set up. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was just, uh, you know, um, a blessing in disguise <laughs> to be able uh, to be in a place where we're having this conversation. What was before, you know, the 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 killing of uh, George Floyd, and so it was. You know, it's it's not new, unfortunately, and sure. it was. I think it, it's like a cocktail of things that made it that no one could look away. You know, yeah. everyone's stuck inside. Everyone is sad and depressed. Right. Everyone feels like stranded and people are just tired, you know? And, mm -hmm. and so us having that space for this conversation was kind of, it's, 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 it was important for us. And I think a lot of people are finding a solace in our spaces, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. So important to have that safe space to talk about it because sometimes as a white woman, we would feel like we don't want to mess up. Exactly. And so I was also a member of the wing. I didn't get to meet y'all there, but we're glad to know you now. So tell us, say the elevator pitch of Kinswomen and all the different things that y'all do. Sure. So Kinswomen is primarily a podcast where we aim to break down the gaps that exist between people of color and white people and have compassionate conversations on race from a place of love and understanding. And in this moment that we're in culturally, we've become really a platform, not just a podcast, but our platform has extended to doing writing work, hosting courses, doing anti-racism training and education and being a place where people can come in and join the community and get more comfortable having these cross-racial dialogues. That is, that, is, that is so brilliant and so, and so needed. You know, I was telling Dave, some, sometimes we feel like as white women, we, we did something terribly wrong and we didn't even know we were doing it. We don't even know do we have the courage to even to not mess to mess up and and keep going you know it, it's right. just it's overwhelming sometimes so it's just a brilliant thing that you all are doing and how it fell into place it's got to you know if you're religious at all you have to see that this is sort of you know destino just, yes that's Destiny. right as the italian yes. yeah it's a very spiritual kind of thing to me that it came together like this it was like Aww. you're preparing for something that you didn't even know was coming. Oh my goodness. I mean, I'll, I, I think Izu and I both feel that way. We're both spiritual people and we definitely feel that this kind of very sacred, holy energy around what we're doing. And we have so much gratitude for it. That's wonderful. Yeah. wonderful. And Izu, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, but like to say that we didn't see it coming is kind of, no. you know, not really <laughs> what I felt at least or no. that what, you know, Hannah or a lot of black, people of color have experienced. And so I think this, this is like a kind of like a boiling 
boiling water that like overflows, but it was an undertone of, of everything that was already happening in the country. So we're going to have a space where we're, people are acknowledging it, not like a background noise, but like right. a focus, you know, is, is definitely something that brings, uh, that brings a little bit of, of, um, you know, everyone wants to feel seen and understood yeah. at the end of the day. And so to feel like when you're a minority and to feel like uh, people are starting to take your pain and your, yeah. your yeah. and the struggle seriously is, you know, it, it, it's, it's not like it's making me feel better, but it's like, mm-hmm. it's at least we're having a conversation. Right. And I guess it was already happening. And like you said, everything, what I meant by that was that it was going to finally sort of like blow the lid off of it. You know, right. you would be yeah. there already set up to be on the forefront and, you know, keep going and grow so quickly. I mean, you know, all yeah. of a sudden it's like, finally, everybody's going to hopefully listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What has the response been? Pardon? What has the response been to uh, your I think I think that for most part, um, we've been really lucky that our space has brought in like really conscious or at least willing uh, people to 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 like be conscious. So it's it's the way we bring up these conversations. We don't sugarcoat. We don't hold back on the truths, or we're not trying to make anyone feel like comfortable. With, but I think it's as it's it's made it like kind of like a space of being able to talk about it without that polarizing uh, feeling that society has like kind of created about these subjects. Mm -hmm. And so racism is like a very sensitive thing for a lot of people in different ways. And at some point, if we really want to heal and if we really want things to be different, we have to be willing to have have a conversation and really like make it happen you know and so uh we've seen a lot of people kind of like discover a lot of truths that felt very obvious to me for example Mm -hmm. um but also we are inviting of that and we have created a space where people that had no idea even though if it's a I can, I may feel offended by that. The fact that, you know, we live in the same society, but you have no idea, which is crazy. But at the same time, it's kind of like the, the, a lot of these women intrinsically are really good people, but it's, that doesn't mean that you might not have like settled in racist ideas. Uh, and that comes from the upbringing and the foundation of this nation and culture. So it's being honest about that is something that is difficult for a lot of people, but that is the only way we can move forward and kind of like dismantle that. And so I think the kinswoman, Hannah and I try to really uphold that space, you know, uh, of compassion and love because otherwise people feel defensive and they do not want to really grow you know, this makes sense. Shut some down. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, think we, we both feel very happy that the response has been so positive because when we started this, before we even launched our first episode and we were just ideating, we, we were really nervous because it's risky to talk about race um, in a public way 
for both of us in different ways um, as a white woman and Izu as a black woman. And I felt so supported by Izu because she was like, if people come for you, Hannah, I have your back. And I hope she feels and knows that I 100% have her back too. But we created this foundation between us where our relationship is really strong and we really work on it too. Um, Cross-racial relationships definitely require more care and keeping, I would say, than than um, same race relationships. But the response has been honestly so loving and people, the people who've come into our space are, have an openness and a willingness to learn. Mm-hmm. And um, the, that fear of, and for, for me, you know, somebody who um, wasn't really using my voice like this before. Um, it's been, it's been such a journey and very gratifying to know that what we're saying and the conversations that we're having are changing people's minds and making a difference. So I've been, I feel so lucky to do this with Izu and I'm, I'm very grateful for the res- how positive the response has been. That's wonderful. And it's also like you were brave. Both of you are very brave to do this. You know, and when you do something, when you're having to be brave to do it and it works well, then you become more brave and more courageous and this would mm-hmm. just get bigger and bigger. So um, we're really proud of both of you. Thank you. Thank you. And after reading the So You Want to Talk About Race book, Izu, what you're saying is you and IPOC, Black Indigenous people of color, every you felt like you've been writing about this and you've been feeling all these things your whole life, but we are doing some podcast episodes upcoming on grief, for example, and hearing about other people's pain and that what they're going through, either you just, it's too sad, you don't want to think about it, you don't want to know, ignorance is bliss, or you think, well, I'm just one person, what what in the world I can do? It's too big, it's overwhelming, so I'm just going to put that away. Mm-hmm. So it is, and somehow, it, it was so crazy to me how all the people we follow on Instagram, like, there are so many conversations that are being had that white people maybe just weren't seeing. I mean, mm-hmm. we just truly had no idea, which seems insane and totally obvious to you, of course. So I am glad that that is thrust into the forefront and can no longer be ignored, exactly as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's it's still a choice to want to care. You know, right. when you're a person, it's still a choice because, like, it's a lot. Right. <laughs> a, and, but... At the end of the day, I think that we all need to sit with one, with ourselves. And this is what we say when we have, you know, because we, we have a course and it's Allyship 101. And I feel like it's almost, I don't, we don't, we're not teaching anything that's new. We're not teaching anything that right. anyone else is saying. But I think we're teaching people to become more like caring and more like compassionate. And it's like, instead of like seeing the issue as this, big societal issue and kind of like take away identity and 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 humanity from these issues because we're so we're so um how do you call it desensitized by a lot of things right um, it's like bringing back back to this these are real people like this is a real thing and i think that people people of color are so 
so amazing at like persevering and overcoming and fighting for justice and you know uh, and achieving such great things that white people tend to think that you know we're fine and I think it's the same thing as like you know when you see a really strong woman and you don't see her humanity for example I'm saying a woman because we're between women but yeah. it's a, you see a strong woman and you're like, she's overcome so much and, you know, she's tough and she's strong. But at the end of the day, she's, she's just a woman. Mm-hmm. And she also is going to experience, like, sad moments. And we have to be able to see that humanity in that person and not just assume that they, she got it. It's like, no, we need people to see, you know, the struggles of, of minority groups right. imposed onto us. Uh, from a from a real place of compassion like not numbers it's like there's children that are being killed there's husbands and brothers and and you know you know people that we love that are being killed and it's like we need to go back to that place and how does that you know but racism does this this crazy thing that like takes humanity away so whatever is being done to the to people can be you know you can step away from it because you're not seeing them as people you know you've dehumanized them so it's like well they're not like me and it's not necessarily like super racist people it's like people we we don't feel a kinship because it's so far away from what we know and what we understand and so that's easier you know so we have to come back towards seeing each other as people and even if we see that black people are fighting for justice and fighting for equality and fighting for just existence you know um see people as like people (laughs) that need support and love and understanding it's so smart because it's much harder to turn your back on a person than it is to turn your back on a group you know well Mm -hmm. they do this and they don't do this but when so many times you know if you know one person in that big group you hear people say oh well I'm not talking about her I'm talking about you know the group right that's brilliant that's that's imperative to do Mm -hmm. and it's interesting that COVID one maybe one of the positives exactly as as you're saying is that maybe we are learning to slow down a little bit and be more compassionate of mm-hmm. other people and and in slowing down the process it doesn't matter who it is if it's the postman or the person who's mm-hmm. cleaning up at a restaurant or whatever we are hopefully all going to treat everyone mm-hmm. as as exactly the same no matter what their position is their role Right. I said this yesterday um, on our podcast, but I went to this great allyship conference last year and somebody said that we should treat people the way they want to be treated instead of the way that we want to be treated. And I love that. They were like, the golden rule is treat people as you would like to be treated. And the platinum rule is treat people as they want to be treated. And I think that is so helpful when we're talking about allyship because we are all different and we are all individuals and i think we need to and instead of like homogenizing the way we treat and accept everybody i think having um and obviously treating everybody with respect is so key but having an extra awareness 
about everyone else's stories and paths and what they need to really feel like their whole selves in the world is so important. Mm -hmm. That's a great And either of y'all can speak to this, but definitely Izu, tell us how we should be thinking about Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter because a lot of people were getting confused about saying, like, for example, we had tried to train ourselves to not see color, but then that isn't exactly the right thing to do either. Mm -hmm. Hannah, do you want to comment or do you want me to? Um, well, I want you to talk about BLM, but really quick, I'll just share a story about my own upbringing. I come from a liberal Northeast white family and my mom, um, love her so much, but she <laughs> taught us to be quote unquote colorblind. And I didn't realize that I, that, that, that was such, such a way of dehumanizing and erasing somebody's identity. And that colorblindness is really just a privilege only afforded to white people. And that was a conversation, conversation she and I had to have together. Um, because even though the intention behind that of, of not seeing color is not a bad one. It, it, it actually, I think, makes things worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, uh, I think that not seeing color is an excuse to not, or maybe might predict not seeing someone's struggle. And like, that's, that's the like I get where the we're not seeing color comes from, but unfortunately it triggers this thing where it, it, it makes people not want to look into the struggle that this person is is like, you know, uh experiencing. So so that's why that 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 saying is so is so uh um bothersome uh for people of color because we see the effects of it. We see that like it doesn't actually make people more conscious and more like compassionate. It makes people, it gives permission to step away from the, the issue because it's like, but I'm not seeing color, so I don't see what you're talking about. Yeah. And that kind of, you, you end up being alone in your struggle. And, um, and so when it comes to the All Lives Matter versus Black Lives Matter is the, 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 just the fact that we're talking about it as a versus is like, is weird to me. Um, I think that it's it's an insult to people's intelligence and to 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 think that it it it's even a conversation. You know, like when we are doing campaigns for breast cancer, mm -hmm. uh, right? And like breast cancer awareness month, uh, and there's campaigns all over. You don't see lung cancer patients or <laughs> brain right. cancer patients say, "Oh my God!" But you know, all cancer matters. Right. And the fact that people feel so bothered by um, black people claiming that their the lives matter, and not even it matters more, not it that you know right. matter more. It's like it matters because there's been so many incidents and there's so many things that are set up in our society right now that just makes it clear that black lives do not matter. And so claiming that my life matter is just to bring awareness to why everything around me is saying that it doesn't. When I know that like as a black woman, if I go to the hospital, and, I, and this is what I invite people to do, is to really look into why people are saying Black Lives Matter and like what is like what what's like the 
the motivation behind it. And there's clear cut facts and events, like let alone the fact that there's like innocent black people being killed by police. Uh, but also the fact that, for example, black women have higher risk in this country right. uh, in dying while giving birth and not because they have pre-existing uh, conditions, not because, you know, they don't have the means, not because of their social economic status, but solely based on the color of their skin, they will die more uh, predominantly than a white woman that doesn't have that doesn't have a secure like social economic is very low education is very low no insurance so it's like you right. know things can be explained with factors and in this instance for example black women dying while giving birth it's like there's no common sense factors we are in a country that has all the resources to keep right. women alive we are in a country that has a uh, uh, supposedly amongst the best healthcare system, which I don't think so, but you know, <laughs> the tools are there. Yeah. And so it's like, how are black women dying? Why are they, this isn't the third world country where there's no resources. This is like abundance of resources, but yet black women are dying and for like very silly things. Uh, and women, like I can talk for myself, I, you know, as one day I hope to have children, but I would never give birth in America. And so like, I'm thinking of women like Serena William and Beyonce that have advocated for, that, that have experienced moments where they were giving birth and almost died. And it's like, if Beyonce and Serena Williams do not ha hold a chance, what's my chances? Right. Right. <laughs> what the chances of all other black women in this country? There's no chances at all you're not going to win. So with the money, with the status, with the name, you don't, you still risk. Beyonce had to get like a, I think she used a doula at some point, but she almost experienced like a, 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 a near death experience. Serena Williams had to like really fight with the doctors because she felt like something was wrong. She had a blood clot, she could have died. And it's just like, when we say Black Lives Matter, it's because there's a thing that's happening in this country, uh, in this society that's saying, that's showing us that it doesn't. So, you know, and I don't even want to get into the prison system. I don't want to get into the education system. I don't want to get into like the, every aspect of this society has showed us that people of color and specifically also black people are experiencing like this, like secondhand citizen, you know, second or thirdhand citizen. So like, White people that feel offended by that need to really dive into a place where they're learning. Why are people saying that? Right. And, you know, all lives matter, like in a sense that like, of course your life is important and my life is important equally, you know? But like when we're talking about this, it comes from a place of like a need of change right. and a need of like, uh, of like wanting things to change. So it's it's up to white people to that say all lives matter to try to look into like why they feel so offended right. when a black person claims uh, uh, that their life matters, right. you know, and and I mean it's not new to me. I've been in so many situations where I've seen you know white people that are not specifically it's not like super racist people, but it's like you know white people that just are so used to the white lens that whenever they're challenged and they see something that just doesn't fit with the scenario of what a black woman should look like or should be doing or social status, they get so offended. 
you know, and it's, and it's, it's so bizarre. So as a black woman, like people feel more comfortable if I were uneducated, poor, uh, you know, on like that didn't speak in any other languages, you know, like kind of fit this like, oh, poor black woman scenario. And they get super frustrated with me if I, if I've traveled more, you know, if I've, I'm not financially, I, I'm grateful that my parents had the means to provide for us. So like, it's, it, I don't have that stereotypical story, but I've been in so many situations where people are so irked by it. And I feel like the all lives matter thing, it's the same thing. It's like so bothered by the fact that right. we are comfortable with ourselves. We're not ashamed and we are claiming space because we need it to survive, yeah. you know? Oh my goodness, yes. And we as humans, we don't want anyone to struggle but it is time to be mature and address it. So I'm glad that we are doing that. And I hope that was the right thing to say. Yeah. And just recognizing the imbalance, I think too, is part of Black Lives Matter, like knowing and giving, shining light on the, the very real truth um, that these things exist. Because if we can't acknowledge that they exist, then we cannot fix them. Sure. Right. You, you have to just like, both of you, all of you were saying, you have to look at it in the face, you know, you have to look at it and say, mm-hmm. you know, so many people don't even know that about Beyonce or Serena Williams, you know, right. those kinds of things mm-hmm. that you can't, you can't look away when you know those things, you know, and, and so it's important to address it because it is a, it's certainly, we're, it, it is a plea for help. I mean, for someone to say, my life matters. You know, you have to have compassion to see what you can do to help. And I don't know the right words, Izu, because I know we're not always supposed to talk about helping, um, you know, other people because that makes them sound like they're not empowered. But um, that's why we have you to lead us <laughs> yes. um, in these discussions. Well, I just wanted to comment on the word helping. Mm-hmm. Um I think that you can you you can use words like amplifying or okay. uh, you know supporting uh, yep. or advocating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's I mean the English language is very you know there's there's a lot of words that can show support without showing kind feeding into this like you know uh, saviorism that yeah. is offensive uh, and it's offensive only because everything that minority group have achieved has come from minority group so it's not like white people have like fought for you know civil right movement like black people had to fight for it and they had to die for it in order for it to like come to life and or like the right of voting white women were able to vote in 1920 but it's not five decades later that black women were able to, to vote so it's like they had to fight for that. And white women at the time in the 1920s were not advocating for black women to be able to vote. So it's like, it's kind of like recentering kind of the, the, how, how things have actually been happening, you know? Thank you. I love having those um, verbs to help. Amplify, support. What was the other one? Advocate. Collaborate, advocate. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Amazing. We want to do all of those things. And we 
Well, we have been hearing a lot of terms these days, such as ally, microaggressions, anti-racist, things like this. So can you tell us what do those words mean to you? And maybe there are some that we haven't heard of yet that are important to know. Yes, and I love that you guys have a diverse range of ages too, because it takes all of us in this in right. this fight. Um, but ally, ally, and allyship means that you are advocating for a certain group. You are a friend of a certain group and wanting to work on their behalf to to lift them up and to to support them. And that can look a lot of different ways. Um, we believe that being an ally is something you can't self-identify as. It's up to the group that you wish to be an ally to, who's mm -hmm. letting you know that you are um, supporting them in the way that they need to be, need or want to be supported. So that is how I would describe being an ally. Mm -hmm. um, and then microaggression. So microaggressions are moments or behaviors that BIPOC, which stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, um, that is the, uh, BIPOC is a short, um, it is a short way of trying to encompass as many um, minority groups as possible without erasing any. Um, so that's why you have the Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. It's not always appropriate, and some people have an issue with it, but for the, the sake of um, brevity, we use it often. Um, but also, again, you should be checking in with a group on how they want to be identified to. Um, but microaggressions, like we talk about racism as being a spectrum. And there are so many actions, behaviors, and belief, beliefs that while they're all harmful, they're, you know, some are super obvious and some are not. So it might not seem like a, a aggressive thing to comment or touch a black woman's hair as a white woman, but that is something that would be an example of a microaggression um, sure. that, we, that we do as white people. Oh, so many things that we do. So many things. Just the language, the language oh. that we use. Um, th that's why language is so important. And while I can't always be perfect with language, I try my best to be as aware as possible about what I'm saying. And for some people, that might seem like it's a hassle or an inconvenience, but it is really nothing compared to sure. you know what our BIPOC friends are thinking about and considering all the time. Um, mm -hmm. And then what's the last one? Um, Anti-racist, Allison. Um, so Ibram Kendi is an author. He wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist and something that he has said is that it's not enough to be not racist, we must be actively anti-racist. So while a lot of us will claim that we are not, not that we are not racist, it's so imperative. I think the anti provides a sense of being actively against and putting action behind your beliefs. So if we say that we are not racist, then we must actively be anti-racist because this if we are passive and we do nothing, we are not shifting the status quo. We're not changing anything at all. So that's how I see those terms. But Izu, I mean, I, I would like her to, to add into if she is anything to say is. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a clear definition of these words, but then 
I think that white people just need to stay open to uh, not being offended when someone is trying to tell them that that moment was really uncomfortable, that moment felt like a microaggression, mm-hmm. and um, and kind of like read as much as people can to try to really grasp it. You know, you can always have like a clear definition, but then like you kind of have to be in that situation to understand it. Unfortunately, that situation may hurt or bring discomfort or, you know, to, to someone, but like, I think that the, the white fragility is like a real thing as well. And you have to make sure that when someone is trying to teach you or, or call you in or even call you out for something, you have to be willing to kind of humble yourself and listen. And so, especially when it comes to microaggression, you know, um, it's little things. It's like touching the hair. It's making a comment about the way I speak. It's making a comment about like education level. It's, right. it's things that stem from the idea that like people of color are supposed to be uh, a certain way. And so when you don't fit that image, like don't feel the need to verbalize that because it's offensive because it's not true because we don't, it's not a monolith, you know, not all people of color or black people experience the same thing. And it's like, it's really being open, I think. It's good to have the definition, but it's being open to hearing when things are happening and be like, oh, okay, this is a moment of learning. Let me just like, you know, go through it and make it better for the next time, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. In the book, so you want to talk about race. She talks about someone wanted, her boss wanted to touch her hair. And also someone asked her, are you the first in your family to go to college? And mm-hmm. And so it, white fragility, is that, that would be an example of someone like getting offended if you said, why did you assume that right. I'm the first one going to college? Yes. Right. So people, I th- Yes. Mm-hmm. I think defensiveness yeah. is a huge reflex um, when it comes to white fragility, because immediately we want to say, I didn't mean that. That wasn't my intention. I don't have a racist bone in my body. Um, And like Izu said, not being open to learning and to be, be being corrected. And you can imagine too the erasure that's happening. If you're a white person saying, I didn't mean it. You're basically saying what you saw as a person of color Mm -hmm. isn't the truth. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, and you, I don't care about your experience because I'm thinking more about how I'm being perceived. Right. So put aside your feelings for a little while and actually listen to them and yes, acknowledge that, well, even if I didn't mean it that way, I can see why you heard it that way, or yeah. I can see how that came across. And now I've learned not to do that again. You know, yeah. you need to be able to be willing to listen Yes. Listen and humble yourself. Um, there's, there's really not a lot of room for ego on the allyship journey. And, um, I, it's, it can be hard to be corrected because our natural first reflex is is to be defensive. Mm -hmm. But once we get past that, then we are opened up, then we are truly taking the next step, I think, when it comes to our anti-racism work. Right. It's less about, don't take it as such a criticism, take it as constructive, as Learning. as moving forward. Learning opportunity. Learning. Yeah. Right. And it's also, uh, it's also like a, a, 
I think you have to see like, you know, when maybe between a mother and a child, when there's like this, this and, the, and it's crazy because I think that's like really the dynamic. Sometimes white people feel so offended when a black person is just like not folding and like not being like, you know, helpful and like, so they kind of like bowing down. It's, it's and, accommodating. And, yeah. Accommodating. And it's just like, we like, Black people do not have to accommodate white people ever. And if something is really weird, like we need to be able to speak up. Right. That's like what you were saying to us before when we had our first conversation is that we have to make sure even, for example, if the room is diverse at an office, Mm -hmm. that everyone feels comfortable to speak up. And when they do speak up, that that is allowed and open and welcome. Yes. Right. This is, this is my, like my big thing with um, workplaces, just because I witnessed this so much happening, happened so much in my own workplace, but diversity and representation optically sometimes just is not, can, can be very harmful to the people of color who are existing in those spaces. And it's not enough just to bring people in. They have to be given a voice. They have to be supported. They can't be tokenized. So there, there can't just be one of them there. It needs, it needs to be a space where it's not just, they're not just existing to make white people feel better. And they're allowed to bring their full selves to work. Like they, don't have to be the resident black person answering questions or, or they know that when they share their experience, it won't be whitewashed. Um, We spoke yesterday to a a reality TV star. I don't know if you guys are Bravo fans, but um, we spoke to a reality TV star yesterday who said she's trying to diversify her show and she texted one of her black friends to be on the show and the show is all white people and her black friend said, oh, they, they just need a black guy on the show. And she said to us, you know, I wanted to give him this opportunity. And Izu was like, hold up. Right. It's not an opportunity if he has to be the one token black person. Why would he? Why, why do you think that's an opportunity for him? You know, he, he could, that could be such a harmful experience. And I don't think as white people, we, we look like we're helping. We, we, we want to feel like we're helping, like we're giving opportunity. But what's the world that we're creating for those people? It's just, a, it's a white world. It's still a white world. Right, right, right. So I think that Pers- that that perspective shift is really important when you're thinking about your spaces, who you're bringing in, why you're bringing them in, what this space for them might be like, and being open to their input and feedback, and just being open to like even considering all of those things. Absolutely, like a complete paradigm shift. It really, yep. really is. And the, another interesting thing to me that when you were saying about black people don't need to be the one always overcompensating, you know, to fit in because of where I come from, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I was born in 62. So I was a baby during, or not even born during some of it, but I have certainly lived with the, you know, whatever it is, the guilt, the misplaced or rightly deserved. I don't know. I was a baby, but I, and other people I know, like sometimes overcompensate in the other way. Like we're so overcompensating. Can I get you anything? How are you today? More friendly. Like we carry this guilt. So we're, and I know they're thinking Mm. it's okay. You can just treat me like a person. You know, you don't, Mm -hmm. you don't have to tiptoe around this. We have to get to a place where, you know, what do we do? That's just an interesting phenomenon to me in Birmingham. I've heard people of color talk about that, how it's like one way or the other, 
you know, some people that carry this guilt are like, so obviously, can I carry that for you? Let me help, you know, anything to try back mm-hmm. again is going back to ourselves to make us feel better about this thing that people did, you know, in the past that is too hard to look at, you know, with mm-hmm. some of the Bull O'Connor, and I think that's his name, Bull Connor or whatever his name was. But um, so that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, I think that, you know, when anything, whenever people are not genuine about what they're doing, it's, it feels uncomfortable. So if, uh, if someone doesn't feel like uh, someone is doing, is being genuinely nice or genuinely polite, and it's coming from like this weird place of like trying to make up something, well, it doesn't feel comfortable. It's not real. It's like fake niceness, you know? So it's like, at the end of the day, you just you you just want people not so much to treat you like a person, but like just be honest. Even it for me, it's like I don't need all white people to like me. I don't even like I don't even care black people they like people of color. I just need respect and I need uh, the same opportunity. So I'm not right about this one individual that's not going to be nice to me or whatever. It's right. just. I just want to make sure that you know that even if you don't want to smile to me or be nice or whatever, that's, but like no disrespect or no, like at the end of the day, when we talk about these things, like we need to remember that it's not about like liking someone or disliking someone. The bigger picture is like people are dying because white people feel supposedly uncomfortable or whatever. And so you end up having someone die because you're, you felt uncomfortable for whatever reason that was. And, and it's important to put things in context. This isn't about like a, you know, popularity contest. It's more like, I want to live and I want people to leave my life. And, and, and that's also like part of, you know, part of the truth. So, so we have to like, look at what's happening. Right. Or reacting and, uh, put things in context. You know, I've heard people tell me like, you know, like be- black people, I've heard people not tell me they could never, but like I've heard white people say, you know, you know, black people need to just like not care. And it's just like, what? it's so insulting because you really think that this is about like being liked. And it means that either you haven't taken time to understand the, the depth of this issue. You haven't taken time to understand the hurt of this issue and the danger of this issue. This isn't like, I like you, I don't like you. This is like, can I live? Can I have the same opportunity? Can I get pregnant and give birth? Can I like not have higher risk of ending up in prison for something that a white person could do and not go to prison? Like, can I be treated like a human and equally? And that's what that really is. And and so it's important to recenter, you know, uh, these conversations and like look at the truth and not like, this romanticized idea that like, we're just trying to be friends. <laughs> oh gosh. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Izu is like, I mean, babe, you are so powerful. And because this thing, this thing that I, that I feel that other people feel, you know, maybe being one generation removed, it's very authentic. It's very trying to make up, for something that it's confusing because actually I wasn't a part of it, but I know it happened and you don't walk up to every black person you meet and say, I'm so sorry about what happened in Birmingham in the sixties 
but I'm ashamed of it. I carry this, this shame about it. And so I want to overcompensate by trying to, you know, be as kind and respectful to you as I can. But like you said, it's more like, I guess, you know, who, who cares about me and they don't really even care if I'm nice to them. They just care if they get, you know, an equal chance to do this, have the opportunities that I have. Right. And I think that like, you know, your, your shame, like you being ashamed of having this legacy, you know, we don't choose the legacy that we're born into, but we do have power in how we want to continue this legacy. And so you're born into this like legacy that's dark and that's racist and everything. But then now today you have your own company and you have your own space and you create, you've raised your own children. And like the hope of this is that instead of being ashamed of an old legacy that yes, you had no power in, but like the power now is shifting where you have power. So like uh, hiring people of color, making sure that you are inclusive in your space, making sure that you have a, a diverse teaching for your children and exposure to like reality and it's like breaking away from a legacy that we're not proud of is actively doing things that goes against what we've been brought into so i i'm never looking at like white white american people from the south south south, like oh my god do you guys you know your 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 ancestors did this or did that like i don't care about that i'm looking at like what are you doing now so you're ashamed but how are you acting now? Like, what are you doing in your everyday life that shows me that you've tried to actively kind of dismantle that? It's either having conversation with your family. It's even it's like educating your children in a better way, making sure you have these honest conversation, making sure that in your, works, your workplace, you bring up these conversations. It's like actively doing everything to try to like fight that, you know? And it's possible, but it takes like, wanting to be in that discomfort and like that's what i always say it's like if i was white and i was like in a situation where i was brought up in like that type of like legacy would i would i actually want to just like sit in my comfort and not like address it because it's just so uncomfortable to address it i don't know i just don't have that 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 like um, freedom and that like that like kind of like permission to ignore it's there it's exposed to me all the time and I'm involved and I'm like the victim of it and I have to be there for myself and for anyone around me that's like being touched by this and and white or black and it's like that's my that's the legacy that I'm creating so I I want to create that legacy for myself and for 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 my for my future children and we all have that power to curate our lives and to make a difference in our own way and i think that even if you're not going in in judaism there's like this thing uh that talks about uh and it's like it's like being able to do greater things always like do the best thing that you can not because you're going to fix it but like because you're not going to fix it and make it a whole better world where there's no racism you still need to do something to make it better. Like that shouldn't be the motivation. It shouldn't be like, I, can't, I don't have power to fix this. It's like, yes, you do in your own way and little bits and pieces, you can do that. And that shouldn't deter you, you know, because you can't fix it all. We can't fix, I can't fix it all, but this is, this is an obligation to myself and to my legacy and to my future children. I have to do this. And so I think that's how people have to see it, you know. Well, I just cannot thank you enough. I just 
cannot express to you how many times people in this city have said, we walk around with this shame and we, you know, we do this and we do that. But what you have just said is shame is something that is, is something that's happening. You're let happening to you. And the way you take care of that is to say, yes, I was not there. So I'm going to let that shame go of those people in the KKK and all of those horrible things that I've heard of and carried this shame for. And instead I'm going to take all that energy and I'm going to be able to actively make, you know, change the paradigm. You know, when you hear about, uh, wife beaters, the next generation, they always beat their wives and how to break that cycle. So it's mm -hmm. sort of like, actually, you've just given me the freedom to know I can move past that. And, and other people can too. This mm -hmm. is yeah. fabulous. And I think, I think that people feel guilty. I think people that sit in that guilt yeah. and, you know, establish that kind of like a comfort in that guilt is because being guilty kind of like feeling sh shameful, it kind of gives you like the permission to like not do anything about it. You're the victim. Right. If you become honest about what's happened, what had happened and you kind of like, you, you take that and, and you say, okay, I can be ashamed, but like I can do other things. The reason why people stay ashamed, you know, is because it's comfortable actually, mm -hmm. because they, it doesn't require you to do anything else. And doing something else and creating this new legacy for yourself is so much work. And I think that secretly it's like people are ashamed because it just like gives them permission to like not do anything to fix it. And there's comfort in that space. It's not real comfort, but it's like a, a feeling of like this fake comfort, you know? Um, so, so yeah. That's really great. Instead of going places and when people say, where are you from? You know, you just dread even have, you know, trying to just not even say where you're from. So, um, being able to acknowledge where you're from and, you know, and this is how life is making a difference in the way life is like now and making the cycle in Birmingham. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things there's an article, I don't know if y'all saw this recently, but Naomi Campbell was in women's wear daily. And one of the things she said was my whole life is a challenge. It's fine. I'm used to it. If it wasn't a challenge, I'd be like, what's wrong? Something's wrong. So that's mm -hmm. how it's always been for me. It's just the normal for me. So mm -hmm. that was something that I thought about Izu when you were talking mm -hmm. earlier. Yeah. Even I mean, Naomi Campbell. I, I love, of course, Naomi Campbell. Like Naomi Campbell is like, and you know, I, that, I love her, by the way. Like, I'm 100% certain that her and I will be friends and have dinner parties. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I absolutely love her because she's such a, like, such a strong woman and also has, uh, you know, she has, like, this grace of a black woman that just cannot be duplicated. And, and it's just, like, she's, she was there when there was no other girl like her. Right. And whenever you are the, the first one and you are a minority and like whenever no one has given you a seat and you get to have a seat, it, you, I cannot even imagine how much, you know, things that she's right. had encountered. So that, that makes so much sense to me without even being like Naomi Campbell. I understand absolutely what she means by that. Right. But thriving is something that, you know, black women know how to do. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like thriving with not much. And it's, mm-hmm. it's something that like I look up as like an immense strength. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, you know, instead of this like weird uh, narrative of black women being angry uh, and like resentful or whatever, I think people need to start looking at them like they are. And it's like these like powerful houses of women that experience so much stuff but still manage to live, right? You know, and we're talking about like, I think that at some point, like people of color, minority, like black women, black people should have like free therapy. Like therapy should be given to, first of all, everyone needs therapy, but like, I think we, black women need therapy because you are raising children in a world that you know are going to be, that is going to be, savagely disgusting to them and you have no power to stop that and they still manage to survive Mm -hmm. and there's no it's not like there's a crazy crazy amount of like suicide in the black black community which you i could totally like it's trauma it's trauma what we experience Mm -hmm. and so like and and it's we have to start looking at it as the strength and inspiration that it is Mm -hmm. and not like oh my God, poor. I think it, it, it makes people feel more comfortable to see, you know, black women specifically as these like wounded animals because like then you feel less threatened. But if you start seeing that as like, yeah. wow, what wow, the perseverance, you know, awesome. is like phenomenal and threatening. That can be scary because you're just like, wow, like what? So what am I? you know but we don't have to compare each other we don't have to i think we can inspire one another i think it can be an inspiration and and i don't know it, it's it's a complete inspiration to me like i love seeing women like nami campbell or even not even women like nami campbell like what black women that are just like yes. ordinary black women i yeah i really you know i'm inspired by that by that that perseverance i think that's a great insight too because i think that's the other thing is like turn it around from, oh, those poor women, you know, that poor woman, she has two jobs, her husband, you know, I'm thinking of a friend I have in Birmingham, her son was shot. Now he's paralyzed. Her other child has special needs and she is still the most upbeat person you would ever meet. And people all the time ask her, how are you doing this? You know, use someone like that as this shiny example of how to live your life rather than, Oh, that poor woman. It's yeah. Like, how does but she it's also, it's also learning how to give love and support to women like that, because that's what we we're talking earlier. It's like, yeah, they're, they're thriving and they're amazing, but like having compassion and humanity yeah. and remembering that she's just a woman yeah. and she needs everyone to amplify her voice, yeah. bring support. If, if it's like emotional support, spiritual support, financial support whatever that is we yeah. shouldn't see it as like oh we shouldn't see it as like a oh wow like a less than i think it's like given the circumstances certain people kind of like do crazy things even if they don't have anything and that's amazing to me you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it truly is yeah that's great and that's where you say we don't want to help her we want to advocate for her support her exactly. in any way we can yeah, so that there's not another like her, you know. Right, absolutely. She and is you break the cycle. Right. I mean, I think the first step in being an ally is doing your own 
reckoning in your own education Mm -hmm. and thinking about your beliefs and your biases and getting super honest with what they are. Mm -hmm. I think acknowledgement and education is the first step. Allyship is not about any kind of external performance necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's really about your internal belief system because whatever you do externally will be reflected in in your belief system. Mm -hmm. So getting really honest with yourself about what you believe, what you've been brought up to believe, like, like, are you scared when you drive through a black neighborhood? What, what preconceived notions do you have about certain minority groups? What do you believe about whiteness? What has whiteness given you? Have you ever thought about your own whiteness? Um, there's so much excavating we need to do as white people to be allies so that we can go out in the world and take action from a really grounded in reality kind of place. So that would be my first step in being an ally. And we always say, you know, being an ally requires so much consistency, trust building and communication. And it's not something that happens magically overnight. Like you don't just wake up and say, I'm an ally now. I'm, I want all people of color to know, like I'm a good white person. (laughs) It requires like, it looks like any other relationship. It requires time you know, and we got to respect the process too. Um, so communication and community, I don't think any of us are meant to be allies on our own. And I love that the two of you have this, have this, you know, duo, this mother daughter duo, because you're both affecting all the people in your own communities and together. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's something we also try to inspire through um, our allyship and action course is a sense of community for other people to, to come together, especially non-Black people, because I, I've had so many moments, and not to be like, woe is me on my allyship journey, but I've had some low, lonely moments in being an ally because I've alienated some mm-hmm. of my longtime white friends who are just not there yet. Right. And even some of like, like my sister was like, I will not be taking your course, Anna. And I was like, right. what? You know, so right. it, there have been so many moments where I've gotten, I've gotten down and having a community of people around me who are dealing with it in their own ways. We can all lean on each other. We don't have to burden necessarily the people of color in our lives by being like, what do we do? What do we do? Yeah. Having that community of fellow allies is so, so, so important. So I know that was a long answer to the question. No, I think it's an important, an important answer because that, that is what's happening. You know, it might be your husband. It might be, you know, like you said, you had the conversation with your mother. So there again, that makes me think about this as you two can think about conversations with your mother and Uzu, your conversations with your mother would be completely different. It might be about how she raised you knowing what world you were coming into, Mm -hmm. but Hannah, when you had this discussion with your mother, so picture your mother and your mother's friends, me, but even like my mother, who, who is, you know, very much a Democrat and considers herself a liberal. Um, but she also is 83 and, you know, has those, the white privilege things that she's probably not aware of either. So let's take that age group, my age group and older. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily going to be at marches. Some of them will be for sure. 
Some of them, my mother has driven people of color to register to vote, pick them up in areas of town that other people wish she hadn't gone to and things like that at her age. But if you aren't doing that kind of thing and you aren't going to march because maybe you have anxiety yourself or you're, you know, you're incapable of getting there physically or whatever the things are, what are the steps? Are there things that you can you know, like, how can they lean into it? How can they do it if they're scared and oh, you can't make them feel bad because they're scared? How do you begin? Start small. Mm-hmm. I mean, start with a book. I started off, I gave my mom actually the book, So You Want to Talk About Race. Oh, good. And I just left it on her bed. <laughs> and I think she was a little bit at first put off. Sure. Um, but I started there. I kind of tried to meet her where she was at and I know she loves to read and, Mm -hmm. and marching, like I'm married to a black man. We didn't do any marching Mm -hmm. this past um, year. And the reason is because he doesn't feel safe to march. And he also didn't want me out there marching, potentially exposing myself to COVID. So marching is not for everybody. Like that's not how he, for example, chooses to fight and advocate for himself Mm -hmm. and I'm going to support him in whatever he needs, you know, as a black man in this country. So it's not necessarily about like the external stuff. It truly, I think comes down to the unlearning and working on your belief system first, Mm -hmm. like getting really right and real and honest with yourself about what you believe. And, you know, Mm. Izu, Izu, I'm, I'm always learning and I do this every day, you know? Um, and I live with a black man and I am in business with Izu mm-hmm. and I'm messing up all the time because my belief system has been so baked in as a white person. So I respect that process though of like undoing it and unlearning it. Mm-hmm. And I know that doesn't mean I have to be out there marching, but I can be having conversations. Like the fact that you guys are just having us on your podcast, like that's a place to start. If you, if people in your age group listen to podcasts, Awesome. It just takes time. Like, no, there's no magic. There's no magic solution, but time you have to, I think you have to put in the time and, and you have to be willing to be wrong and also not, not want to be recognized for your good deeds. Like that's not a, that's not what this work is about. That's so interesting. That's what I was just thinking. Like stop trying to prove to everybody how anti-racist you are. Right. And right. spend the time to actually, you know, it will be apparent. When right. you yeah. and, and I think that for, for your mom's age, you know, spaces like we have our courses, we've had women that are like in their 60s mm-hmm. and their 50s. And I think that like, it's, it's good to be with other generation and, yeah. and hear these conversations. So like, that's why we love our, our courses is because we give people the opportunity to create their own spaces for these conversation you know that are just like them white and right you know so yeah creating organic meetups with some tea and conversation you know Mm -hmm. uh, is the best way to start Mm -hmm. right you just have to start and that's what we were we found it interesting in the beginning. We never like to do things that everyone is doing. So in the beginning, when the groundswell was happening and everyone was posting the black square and everyone was going to watch all the movies and read all the books, we 
thought maybe that would end at some point and people would move on with their life. But we were trying to really take it slow. This is a lifelong thing. It can be very overwhelming at first to be reading all the things and watching and all of the sadness and feeling all of the pain that, and then maybe that would cause people to turn away because it's just too much. So if we kind of take it day by day and we're going to take small steps and that will mm, cause bigger change. Right. You can't check off the boxes. I read this book and this book and this book and we watched this. Right. And so now, thank goodness we're finished with that. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Just be honest with yourself about your own energy and your own, um, mm -hmm. like your own commitments, because if you try to do it all, you're going to burn out and then you'll be useless. Exactly. To feel like we are their extension mm -hmm. and breaking away and, and having like this, like, mm -hmm. you know, symbolic, uh, mm -hmm. uh, cutting right. umbilical cord where you get to be yourself. Right. Mm. It's very offensive. Right. Because they are like, wait a minute, I've raised you. <laughs> You're me. It's like, but I'm not, you know? Yeah. And I don't know her at all. Oh, right. right. Yeah. And so, and so you realize how, how like, and it's in that power dynamic stem from racism and white supremacy where like, it's been established that white people have this like innate feeling of like, of course I am, you know, this. the voice of reason and it's 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 very insulting to to people of color because it's if i say this is how i feel mm -hmm. why don't you want to listen right. like it's you know it's like in a relationship if i say that hurt my feelings right. we can't really say oh but you know that's not what i meant okay that's not what you meant but acknowledge that you've hurt someone exactly and then say hey i won't do it again and vulnerability is something that's like really hard to yes uh, kind of let out and yeah. it takes time and especially when it's such a such a difficult conversation such a like you know there's so much pain related to this that it's not just in theory and words it's like really That's you right. know hurt and pain and but so yeah hope at the end of it too it's so freeing when you let down your guard and you can let yeah. down your senses of and course. just you know yeah, and you can connect with people genuinely, right? You know, right. and now you don't you don't feel guilty, and you don't walk around. You have to walk around. Shame. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. it's like, paralyzing. It's it paralyzing. It's like kind of fear. I think one of the biggest things that we never talk about is how crippling fear is. Right. It stops you. It blocks you. It it, it and it makes this. It can even create anger. And embarrassment does the same thing. It blocks yeah. you. It, it stops you from growing. And it can make you even resentful towards the people that supposedly are making you feel shameful. Definitely. Um, and so, so we have to like kind of un unpack that. And that's I always feel like we're doing therapy, to be honest with you. Like, I feel like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, it's definitely therapeutic. And it's like you give permission to people to sort of, Open up. Open up. Grieve the fact that they have hurt people. Right. And and right. that you, you know, it's not like I think it was in, so you want to talk about race when she said, it's not that it's hopeless for you. you know? Right. It's that, you know, there have been mistakes made and things like that. And once you learn, you do better. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I am, I am mm-hmm. learning. I, I'm in such a vulnerable, raw spot every day doing this work. It's like, I'm always feeling like I'm like might just like burst into tears because it just feels so scary, but that I feel like is growth and I'm living this really honest life where because we're talking about things that are so personal all the time and we require so much transparency and vulnerability, the relationships that I have in my life now through this platform are so beautiful and so rich and so mm-hmm. honest because we get to it. Like we're, we're getting to the tough stuff. Like conversations like these are so hard to have, mm-hmm. but we're getting to them like right away and we're not shying away. And mm-hmm. it's made me be so much more intentional with how I communicate with people and, and the standards that I have for those around me too. So mm-hmm. this life will change some, like it will change your whole this will change your whole life. You deeper for it, and also with you personally. I mean, you know, it, it's interesting for you to read. So you want to talk about race because she has a white mother. You know, so you will mm-hmm. have a child. You will have a black child, and you will be a white mother. Oh yeah, I think about that all the time. I mean, it's not. It's hard. I mean, I don't want to say it's hard for me, but it can be very hard to witness racism. I mean, racism affects our home every day because my husband is subjected to it no matter where we go. And, you know, Soho, where we live, is a very white neighborhood. And, um, you know, the wealth gap, the wage gap is very real. It's very upsetting to see people not honor and um, compensate my husband who has his master's degree. He's in his forties. He's the smartest man that I know to see how he, you know, throughout his career has been kind of handicapped um, because of racism is it's it's like, this is our livelihood, you know? I mean, it's his and now because we're married, it's ours. And so it racism is affects us all, all day, every day. Um, him obviously more acutely, but it's very personal to me. Like this work is extremely personal to me. And he wrote me a note the other day that was so sweet. And he was like, the work that you do like is based on my own survival and it brings tears to my eyes that you do it mm-hmm. for me. And it was so sweet. And it's like, you don't even have to tell me that. Like, I, I was so honored to hear it, but it's like, you're my family. Like this is my family. It's like, I wouldn't, I'm going to tear up now, but I would never, I couldn't never not do this because he's my soulmate. I mean, and it's not just that it's like, I, I, I'd hope I'd be motivated to do this work if I wasn't in an interracial marriage too, but it's very hard to see it every day and not want to use everything I have in my power to fight against it. You are the perfect gift to all of us because you are the, you're a bridge, you know, you, you, you see it firsthand with this person, just like hopefully everyone who has a husband that they respect and love and, and care so much about them having dignity and all of these things bestowed upon them. And then 
you know, if you have a white husband, you might not notice what happens at the airport. You might not notice all these little things, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. you are very white, very waspish, very, you know, beautiful, everything. Um, and you can speak to the white people and the black people. So I think it's fabulous. Thank you. Yeah. I try, I mean, it's a burden, I, but. I try to bring as many white people into the conversation yeah. as possible. And I, you know, I have my own guilt too about not being motivated before I was literally faced with it every day with a man that I share a bed with and a life with, you know? So I have my own kind of like self guilt that I acknowledge. I don't let it get in the way and I try not to wallow in it, but I also recognize that for me, that's what it took. So I am motivated to help other white people. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think you should have to be in a relationship with a person, no, no, of course not. you know, to, okay. to be motivated and you're living like the way that, yeah, white people it, right. This is just my life now. And, um, I love him. I love Izu right. and it just yeah. feels very like, it's just what I'm supposed to do. Well, and like she just said to me, you know, you don't have to, in other, instead of just carrying that shame or that guilt from the past, you know, you're more than making up for it now. And that's now that you have the power, you're using it to help people. So you're absolved of that, of, <laughs> of that guilt. Instead, you can feel very empowered and, you know, pat yourself on the shoulder. I'm just doing, just doing my best every day. And Izu, you making the choice. You are being brave. You have a choice when someone says something to you, whether you just take it and it's easier probably just to say nothing and then whatever, but then nothing will change, but you're being brave. And by saying, actually that hurt my feelings that you said that. And so thank you and other people of color for being brave and standing up so that we can create the change while hopefully simultaneously the white people are learning and actively trying to become anti-racist. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's so much a choice that I have, but it's very yeah. like, it's visceral yeah. that I have to speak up. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was talking to my brother uh, last week and we were talking about rage and there's like, there's controlled rage and there's like, uh, um, like felt rage, but like you're not controlling it. So right. it's kind of taking over. And I feel an absolute control on the rage that I have towards right. racism. And I've found a way to try to make things uh, better for people like me and mm -hmm. people that are willing to make a change and change their own legacy in relationship to racism. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, I can't be an, I'm not uh, a representation of all people of color. And like, I absolutely respect and com are in, am compassionate towards people of color that decide that they do not want to engage in this because it is very traumatic right. and, and, and I'm triggered uh, a lot, but it, that's like my personal choice. Right. But when it comes to, you know, white people, and what I grew up with is an example of like what, you know, like my father's white and I've seen how he was an ally without calling himself an ally. Like 
he was able to show me that like white fragility is actually you know something that people have decided to sit in rather than like a thing that just happens mm -hmm. and i think that that's that's why it has kind of made me feel like it is totally possible to for people to choose not to be like that mm -hmm. because my father married to my mother that's black and african it's like he has never felt offended and he loves the work that i do he absolutely supports it and he understands it not unlike a i'm an ally and blah 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 you know he supports me as his daughter but at the same time he's not like you know this like like i don't know you know there's people that are just out here acting like saviors my father is not like that and he just is married to a woman she's black and he has black children and he supports us and he's just always showed so much compassion even in moments where we were like annoyed because he didn't get it or he didn't see it it was just like okay well if you say so then i believe you you know and i think that that's what kind of gave me hope that it's totally possible to make a conscious decision to want to do better you know mm -hmm. so yeah move past feeling defensive mm. yeah let's talk about how to recognize and work on prejudice that you might not consciously realize that you have so for example the first conversation that we had when hannah thought that we would be racist when she heard our accents and then also as we have conversations and izu you point out things that we we aren't aware of if you're not aware of something then how can you change it right. <laughs> yeah i'm sorry you guys um, <laughs> No, don't be sorry. It's I think okay. that's I think that's why this is important. It was fascinating to us. We had never it, done that before. It is like it it was so interesting to just think about that. And um yeah, you know, my husband, he grew up in Alabama, but he he was an army brat. His mom was in the military. So they moved all around and he got teased for his Alabama accent. So he doesn't have one anymore, mm -hmm. but hearing yours, is not something that you typically hear. Mm -hmm. And then it, when, when I did, I, it brings up all of this like stuff about the South and Confederacy and lynchings. Like there's so much baked in. And I hate to even say this to you guys, because I know that well, that's what I'm talking about. That's the guilt, the shame that I've walked around with. Yeah, and I feel bad saying it because it's like now that I'm talking to you, and I knew when we met that you that was not your background, that you guys were not racist people, but the the accent right. triggered something in me, right. and now talking to you, I feel bad about saying that. Well, I, know, <laughs> I, know, I think it's fascinating because it's exactly what, like you're almost acknowledging what I've felt about living in this place where I've grown up. You know, yeah. we are automatically labeled as this thing. But also, like we've said, all of us have said, it's kind of when I talk to my clients about the way you look as how people perceive you. They don't set out to judge people when they meet you. It's mm -hmm. just their brain immediately is thinking certain things by mm -hmm. what you're wearing and how you put yourself together, you know. And right. so it's the same thing like that. It's like we have these pre, so if you're black, people are going to think, oh, she probably didn't go to college or whatever it is, you know? And so how do we learn to retrain our brains and, you know, you know, get to know the person. So it's. Well, now I will never think that about um, 
somebody from Alabama because I've seen the work just that you guys are having this conversation and doing this work is so awesome. Um, (laughs) And yeah, it's so, it's so great. But I, I do think what, what struck me like when I verbalized that to you guys was like, as somebody who's from the North, who's like a Yankee, it's like, we have these preconceived notions in America about who the better white people are. And Mm -hmm. that is completely a myth because we are, there is no such thing as like a, a, a harmless white person or like below the Mason Dixon line, you guys are any worse than we are above it because there is so much racist history, um, you know, up, up North too. So I think it's good for me and for white people to acknowledge that there, there is no hierarchy when it comes to like good white person, I don't think, or, or believing that there is based on where we're from and not the actions that we're doing might keep us comfortable in a place where we pat ourselves on the back without deserving it. Right. We might be bad, but we're not as bad as those people down there. Exactly. Right. Well, Izu, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, you know, the, the, there is, there is a thing about, like, American education, and when it goes to, like, the cotton, the cotton, cotton states, (laughs) like Alabama, there's, like, an unlearning that has to be clearly done when it, it comes to slavery, when it comes to civil rights movements, um, so I think that, like, Hannah feeling like that, I could understand why it's co- where it's coming from. It's coming from of course. A, a of truth course. that Alabama has failed its people in teaching the whole truth and uh, about you know slavery and the the racial issues in this in in this country and specifically in their state. So it's it's important I think to you know put things in in context. Uh, but well, also Izu, what's interesting too. Even you saying that is that Alabama has worked harder than most states. You know, we have an incredible civil rights museum in Birmingham. We have an incredible civil rights museum in Montgomery. The, um, the Southern Poverty Law Center is in Montgomery. You know, um, there have just been so many. There are, there are a lot of good things that have come out of it, and we're doing a pretty good job right now. We try, I think, even harder sometimes as a state, but no one acknowledges that because we've been stamped, we've been labeled. So that's something that these conversations that we're having, you know, we're all learning about each other. We've all grouped each other into groups and it's time now to stop and say, all of these myths that we've come up with, you know, we might need to reimagine. Sometimes we might find allies in unlikely places. Right. I agree. I mean, I think that my point was that even if Alabama has done work, it's still short of like closest to what, you know, the communities on the other side are expecting to see. And there's still like discomfort around it because there's not like a real vulnerable place to actually have these conversations. So it's great. But then, you know, there's always more that can be done. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not even compared to me, North to South, it doesn't matter. Sure. Education in America has failed completely to be open about its history. Right. And it has been completely been uh, whitewashed. Yes. So I don't actually think that like the North is better or the South. I think it's, it's yeah. all of it needs to be readjusted and re, you know, rewrote. And, and I know this just because I've been in 
universities and I, I went to a university here in America and it's like I've been with kids that come from like all over and it was a very white school and I can say that like when you pay 50000 or $60,000 to go to a university to get an education I was baffled by the lack of knowledge that they had of their own country which is like it's it's crazy to me it's like almost you know you're paying a really expensive chanel bag for i don't know five thousand dollars and then actually it's a fake <laughs> to me that right feels right right and so i think that in order to kind of like catch ourselves in these things that we have settled in in our brain is to reread history mm-hmm. is to find people that are being inclusive that they're being like that are sources that not that are not uh serving a cause or people that's not whitewashed and so that's why like you have to take back you have to kind of unlearn what you've learned and it takes time so i I wish that i had like a a one way to fix it but it really actually requires people to look back what they've learned and challenge it and expose themselves to a diverse background of knowledge Mm -hmm. and the beautiful thing about today's time is that we are literally we are we we have access to abundance source of 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 like knowledge that is the internet mm-hmm. and it can be very curated to the things that want to like kind of self-fulfilling prophecy right. but it can also be some a place where you can diversify your knowledge yeah. diversify your sources mm-hmm. and so the minute when you have like people of color doesn't matter. It can be a Jewish person. It can be an Asian person. It can be whatever. Retell the story in a different way. Mm-hmm. Well, you sit back and you kind of recompose what you've learned and what people are telling you and you make your own idea. And that probably that idea is going to be so much more centered than like a whitewashed idea of like what history in America looks like, right. you know? And I think that's, that's, that's what people need to do. It's like expose ourselves to, to a new narrative and to people that are telling the whole truth. Mm -hmm. And I have an example that's like, it's funny because I know this because I read and because I expose myself to like, I do the same thing that I'm, I'm talking about Mm -hmm. and I have to do it in order to have a a wider range of, you know, narrative. And, uh, we were, I was reading about world war two and like Americans in general, like to think that, you know, they're the good guys during world war two and they, they saved the Jews and like, they stopped, you know, they stopped the Holocaust. But then you don't realize that, like, at the same time, America had its own concentration camps right. where they had Asian people in it. And so they were going through their own war. And so it's like, yeah, but no. You know what I mean? So it's like being able to look at the whole story and being able to, like, kind of take a step back and learn kind of everything is important or the fact that there's a huge ship of Jewish European Jews that were trying to come into the America to run away from the camps and they were refused. America and Canada refused the ship and the ship was brought back to Europe and they were brought into Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's important to learn from also all sources and kind of like dismantle these ideas that we have of things. Right. And it takes time. It takes time and it's uncomfortable because whatever you felt comfortable in, whatever narrative fit you, upbringing is going to be challenged and we have to be ready for that. You know, everybody's pointing fingers at each other. Well, you all did this and you all did this and you have to move past that. 
And the key, I think, to what you just said is actively seek. It is very obvious that we mm -hmm. cannot just expect to learn it. We have to actively seek. And another thing is that when I started interning at Versace, not consciously for racist reasons, but it was more so that they didn't think I was slow or dumb. I toned down my accent so that I wouldn't have an accent. But also, you know, they probably would have thought I was racist having my true Southern accent. So it is an interesting thing about just even opening your mouth, what people mm -hmm. start to right. assume about you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So tell us about this course you've been mentioning. Tell everyone about it. Yes. So we wanted to create a space where it was a community of like-minded men and women of all ages, as Izu mentioned, coming together to work through what allyship means and what allyship means in action. And that's what the course is called. It's called Allyship in Action 101. And we dive deep, but it's a great, a great opportunity for people who are serious about being allies to do so in community, to have a safe space, to work through the issues. And we pair people up with accountability partners so that they have somebody that they can bounce things off of. Um, and usually it's somebody that we, we try to pair people up with people they don't know. So we've had everybody from like actresses and influencers to lawyers and teachers from age from college age to um, in their 70s. My mom's currently taking it too. Oh, Shout out to my mom. Um, but it's been excellent. So if anybody wants to sign up or has a question about it, kinswomenpodcast.com has all the answers and the details. Yes. And then people, companies can hire you for cons diversity consulting. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So we've done anti-racism training for major media brands, um, for Ivy League schools, for nonprofits, and on an individual basis too, because there are so many companies that know that they need to change the culture, but maybe they're overwhelmed by it or they're not sure where to start. Mm -hmm. And that's where we come in. We try to create a space where conversations about race become a part of the fiber of their company culture. And we, it's the same kind of values as we apply to Kinswomen um, podcast, just having them from a place of love and compassion. And it's less about box checking, like, okay, I did this DEI training, like we're good for a while. It's about, it's about, yeah. you know, we're going to come in and we're going to actually help you shift the way that you talk about these taboo topics at work and therefore you will shift the culture. So we work on building trust between white employees and employees of color and um, a lot of brands and um, individuals want to diversify their spaces but in a genuine way. So we talk about how that can actually happen too. So that's been great. That is so so needed. Yeah. Thank you. Starting small, and I think when you start to take the small steps, then it becomes less scary and right. foreign, and then you can have such a better understanding of a beautiful aspect of someone's culture instead of just thinking whatever you might think negatively because about that aspect about because you are, yeah, uninformed. Exactly. I mean, we, we try to build the muscle of allyship. So... That starts small, you know, it's like you don't 
Izu is amazing with analogies, poetic, truly. <laughs> but she says, like, you can't teach a swim class after you've had your first lesson. So we right. we start small with people and it it builds and it grows from there. So we just we don't say, hey, we're gonna give you all the answers, but we're gonna help you create a foundation so that you feel more curious and more comfortable making this a part of your daily life. Mm-hmm. That is so that is so imperative. I mean I think that's why this is brilliant is because like you said, it's a place of love and compassion so that people, they have, they have the, it is like therapy to be able to say, I, you just made me feel bad when I thought I was saying something nice when I said I was helping these people, mm-hmm. you know, well, we know that you thought that and we ignore, we, we accept it, but this is a better way to say it. Mm-hmm. It's a better way to go about it. And so people are more open to soaking up all you have to say yeah and i think the the really great thing about the course is it also gives you like a resource of uh people that are like-minded right so wherever they are in their journey wherever you are in your journey you at least now have uh, a connection with other like-minded people that want to make things different for themselves Mm -hmm. and so thus make it better for everyone around them Mm -hmm. and um and it's kind of like, uh, it's better, you know, to, to go into a group to talk about uh, how you feel. Now you don't feel like you're alone and you can talk, you can talk to another like white friend that is doing the same work instead of like burdening or, you know, yes. not burdening a person of color with like questions yeah. that yes. might be triggering, you know, to, to them. So th- that's, that's why I think this, this space is really special, you know. I think you're very right about that. How did you choose the name? Hannah came up with it, actually. Right? Kinswomen? Yeah. Um, so in keeping with the rom-com um, story, <laughs> it just struck me. It struck me like a bolt of lightning. <laughs> <laughs> It really did though. It really just came, it really just came to me. And, you know, we had no idea that how big kinswomen would get or what would happen when we started it. But luckily I still really like it, mm-hmm. you know, yes, yes. <laughs> we're stuck with it now. Um, but I still really like it. I hope you do too, Izo. Yeah, of course. I love it. I, think it's, like a, I think it's a, it's a very cute. I think it could be like a really good movie or right. book. Yes. Oh, I love it. I think so too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Shout out to any book publishers because we would would love to write a book about this. That would be a really cute and great place to start educational opportunity for Mm -hmm. children and families. And Mm -hmm. I think that would be really nice. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Where can people find you? We are on the web at www.kinswomenpodcast.com or on Instagram, kinswomen underscore podcast. Or you guys can shoot us an email if you want to chat or have any questions at hello at kinswomenpodcast.com. Oh, thank you all so much for this fantastic Mm -hmm. conversation and for opening yourselves up and for doing the work that you do. That's right. Oh. Yeah, thank you so much for having us over. This was an amazing conversation.
Yes. Thank you. I love the work that you guys are doing and thank you for inviting us into your space. Absolutely. Of course. Well, we want to do more things with y'all events. I mean, the possibilities are endless. Yes. Amen. All right, ladies. Thank you both. Bye. If you like what you heard, tell a friend about our show, subscribe to our podcast, and also scroll to the bottom and give a rating and or a review. Those are the best ways for other people to find out about our podcast. See you next time. Bye.